Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode number 76 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved, and hopefully get you off the sofa and onto the saddle. That's why we're here to get you out in the trails, have a bit more fun with friends, have a bit more social time away from the screens, away from the phones, get out in nature, get out on your bike and enjoy those trails. And for everybody that's listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I want to say a big thank you for all your subscriptions, sharing the show commenting on the show and leaving five stars um i just love it and i want to read out a couple um that i've received quite recently um just just to say thanks to the guys for doing that one by georgie dawn five stars super stoked love listening to this podcast and to chuckle every time at garth pacific wording haha yeah because i say pacific rather than specific (laughs) and i kind of spell it that way as well Um, It is a wealth of knowledge and entertainment. I've learned loads from them and will continue to do so. Cheers, fella. Keep up the good work, Ta Craig. So thanks so much, dude. I appreciate that. And um, I know we had a wee chuckle on socials about that as well, about my wording of Pacific. But um, I will always say it like the ocean. I don't know why, because I'm drawn to the ocean. That's the the way it is. So thanks so much. Um, Another one from Running T-I-M-T. Cracking podcast, straightforward and great information, five stars. Love this, easy to listen to and great host. So thanks so much for that. I appreciate all your comments. Um, It's good fun reading through them and it's good getting in contact with these guys via socials and stuff like that. I really do enjoy it. It's a bit of good crack. Now on to today's episode and we are chatting with Thomas, the founder and owner of a very cool UK distribution company called Cyclerize. Cyclerize distribute bike accessories and components from the USA, South Africa, but also from brands in the UK, including their own self-started accessory brand called Lowry. The birth of Cyclerize was a very fast one. It came from a pretty simple idea of a product to a full-blown distribution company within a number of days. Yes, it's pretty crazy within a number of days. And it all came from an idea that Thomas had for a brand that I thought was kind of missing, a product that was missing in the mountain bike industry. Um, And Thomas will say he runs a small distribution company, you know, which is growing a little every day. But I think he has positioned himself well. Um, and has positioned himself in the right place and we all know how fast the mountain bike industry is moving these days and how things change on a daily basis and Thomas is really really aware of all this and I think he's doing a great job with his distribution company. Now Thomas has worked most of his life on the mountain bike industry and for some of the biggest players as well. He's done everything from working on the shop floor to buying the merchandise that you see hanging on the racks and on the reels. Thomas loves working in the mountain bike industry, loves the products, he loves the communities, and has a real passion for what he does. And this all comes through in the interview, and I was really, really stoked to chat to him. He does some great brands, distributes brands such as Rev Grip, Smooth Lube, Goop Industries, Samurai Sword, Timber, does a load of stuff. And the range is only growing. So we chat about how all this started, how he finds the brands he believes in, 
how the business to business model works, how you can get the products and future accessories and components he is working on, plus much, much more. We chat to him about all this, how he set up the company, how things are going, everything that is involved in a distribution company in the mountain bike industry. It's a really good insight to what's going on kind of behind the scenes, how we get the products. So when you walk into a store, how that product actually arrives there with you. There's more goes on there than you would really think. Um, So it was really, really fascinating chatting to Thomas. I really did enjoy our chat. So without further ado, I'll stop talking and I will let Thomas go on the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi, Thomas. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things with you today, sir? Hey, Gareth. Yeah, all good. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And um, we've tried to get you on a few times, but you're just you're such a busy man. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry about that. I suppose uh, running a small business, you don't have a fleet of employees like uh, who, who can do all the jobs for you. So something <laughs> comes up, I've got to run. Yeah, no, it's, it's quite understandable. But here, I'm super stoked to get you on because you basically run a company there called Cyclerize. Is that how you pronounce it? It is Cyclerize. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. A company name that uh, wasn't necessarily our final choice, but it was what, uh, what was available to us when we had to launch in a rush. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had about six hours once upon a time to, uh, to go live. And so Cyclerize was the last name we came, we landed on. Right. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy, isn't it? You know, if you're starting a brand or you're starting to do something like that, you have to take that into so much consideration now because so many words and things are just not available anymore. I know. It's so, so, so challenging. Uh, but uh, my wife points out that you can make any any brand name cool. So uh, that's the challenge. You've got to make Cyclerize cool. And uh, so, so watch this space. That's it. That's, that's it. Very true. Now, you're a distributor of bike accessories and components. Um, you, you bring some in from the USA, from South Africa, and uh you import numerous brands from the UK as well. Um, yeah. Um, so we've, uh, we started um, bringing in the Timber Mountain Bike Bell from San Diego in, in the States. And mm-hmm. um, so naturally with, with this distribution game, products uh, lead or brands lead you into other brands. Um, so we, do, we actually do three brands from San Diego now of all, of all places. Wow. Um, then a couple from South, South Africa. And uh, then, as you just touched on, our own brand, we have manufactured in the UK, up in Leeds. Um, and we distribute that all over the world now. We actually sell far more outside the UK than we do inside the UK. Wow, it's very cool. And now, I want to touch on Cyclerize a wee bit later, but... Um, I would like to chat about just a wee bit about yourself and that. So where are you based at then, Thomas? Oh, we are based in uh, just north of Abergavenny, a little town, um, not town, it's a tiny, tiny little village uh, called Quimyoy. Uh, mm-hmm. And if any anybody's uh, familiar with the Black Mountain Cycle Centre, that literally is at the end of our road. Wow. Wow. So you're in a good spot there then. Definitely. Well, we recently moved from Poole in Dorset um, and it's a, a very pretty place in Poole, but it's not exactly hilly. And so mm-hmm. we moved to Wales for uh, the terrain, the mountains. We're definitely mountain people over beach people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's really nice if you can be a bit of both, but sometimes you have to choose one or the other. <laughs> you do, yeah. We we don't. Uh, we're unfortunately not in the uh, part of the world where you can enjoy a, a, a sun drenched beach and then go skiing in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. If only me, if only. Now, Thomas, you have a very interesting background because you have been involved in the bike industry 
really for a long time. Can you tell us a wee bit just about your background? Of course. Uh, well, I was 15 years old when I first started working in a bike shop. Too young to actually get paid a salary, so I uh, yeah, got some free bike bits here and there, uh, swept the floors. <laughs> um, but quickly quickly turned 16, and um, I was working for a chain of bike shops in the south uh, for years, I think 11 years um, wow. that stint was for. Um, when I graduated university, I left the bike shop and went and sold advertising for a sailing magazine, but I hated that. Um, so very quickly went back to that shop and uh, worked on their e-commerce offering. Um, made all the mistakes working there and then uh, got <laughs> offered a job at Wiggle. Um, and I worked at Wiggle as a marketeer and uh, buyer for five years. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a, uh, a distributor um, and worked as a marketeer there for two years before starting Cyclerize. Um and in and in and around all those other those other roles, I did work in a bike shop in California on and off as well. So, getting a good, good, good bit of experience on the the shop floor as well as uh, online and behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's it, what, what was it like working in the bike industry? I know you have a passion for it there, obviously, but mm. from the shop floor to to the internet side of things, like how has it changed? What what's it like? Well. Um, once upon a time, you'd work in a bike shop and everything excited you. Uh, this was before the internet, I suppose, um, mm. in the, the mid to late 90s. Um, the internet was here, of course, but there wasn't an awful lot of content on there. So um, reading a bike magazine, as lots of us remember, was so super exciting, um, especially the, the American mountain bike magazines. So going out to California every summer, it's where my father lives, so I spent a lot of time out there. Um, super exciting to go and look in bike shops so when I got a job working in a bike shop during the summers it was just so awesome seeing Chris King products just strewn out on the counter and uh, white industries hubs and things that you just didn't see in the UK mm. um, as as uh, connectivity evolved and time came evolved um, all these products started to become a little more normal and standard um, so I find the bike trade today is uh, it's really different to, to the late 90s where that excitement about product was um, another level. And today, I think we're just all a little bit blasé about it all now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. And it's kind of like, I, I kind of remember that back in the movie industry, you know, when you had to wait six or eight months for a movie to come out and you were so excited about it. And the sta- I remember the that. State, <laughs> the states kind of got it first and then we had to wait That's another it. three or four months to see this yeah. thing. Has the bike industry gone a wee bit like that where everything's... It's instant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, m- most certainly. Most certainly. Um, yeah, it always used to be the case, certainly with movies, but definitely with bike parts as well. The states would get it first, eventually trickle to the, to the UK. Um, it's... When I was a buyer for for the large online retailer I mentioned, um, we had access to everything before anybody all the time. It was um, it was a nice a nice situation to be in, um, but it's just uh, what I do love about the trade is now there's so many more people involved in in the sport, and that's what brings a lot of these new products to the forefront into um, into the public eye. Mm-hmm. And mountain biking or cycling in general is just so so much more accessible and available. And I don't think people really realize how much better it is now than it was back in the 90s um, or early 2000s. We hark back and uh, think wonderfully of those days. And they were they were amazing, just like the uh, the retro old mountain bikes we all used to have. Um, but things are a lot better, a lot better now. 
Yeah, and I suppose it's had to go that way. You know what I mean? There's no other there's no other way for it to go but up, really. Yeah, I mean, it's all technology, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so did you prefer working on the shop floor or in front of a computer? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, it's somewhat of a leading question, but it's very, it's absolutely working on the shop floor. I think if I, if I could, if I could work in a bike shop, but work my own hours um, and earn the kind of money I would love to earn one day, then working in a bike shop is exactly what I would want to do. It's, um, mm. it's the dream job. Um, I, I enjoy selling face to face about, I enjoy selling something I'm passionate about. Um, when, when you're on the phone, on the road and conv- you have to walk into a, a shop or convince somebody that the products you have are different to everybody else's. When you're in a bike shop, half the job's done for you because somebody's walked into the shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, uh, I think that's wonderful. And I can see why so many people work in a bike shop and work in a bike shop for their entire lives. It's, it's a really satisfying thing to do. Yeah, it's, it's quite cool. And you know, it's funny, it's one of those things where, when you work with the public for so long, sometimes it can get just, you know, you just need a change because it's, it's not easy, you know, working with the general public all the time. <laughs> no, and a not. lot of, a lot of people want to advance and kind of go behind the scenes or, or would prefer mm. to do that, do that kind of thing. That's right. Um, but you're there, you're handling the products, you're, you're, mm. you know, telling the people about the product and i think it's a great way to learn about products is actually being on the shop floor it is uh because it's it, those are skills that you take with you later on uh i know so much about bikes now that i wouldn't have known if i if i hadn't have worked in the bike shop all mm. those customers coming in and presenting those problems to you that you have to solve and um, you understand about compatibility and what type of things work with what um and also the, the kind of person who would be interested in a certain type of product the internet is very easy to um, make quick assumptions, but when you're actually in front of a person, um, do you understand them and their needs a lot better? Working in a bike shop is a, such a core skill. So, I mean, if anybody wanted to get into the bike industry, then working in a local bike shop is definitely the way to start. Mm-hmm. So many opportunities that can lead on from that. Yeah, I agree. Totally. So, when did you get into bikes then, Thomas? Well, I keep mentioning the, the 90s. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, I started getting uh i've always ridden a, a bike ever since i was a kid um so in the, in the in the 80s i learned how to ride a bike um but we had a lodger i was living at home with my mum and we had a lodger living with us for a good couple of years and he was a, a semi-professional cyclist so he was actually part salaried for um i think it was uh it was a wessex i've forgotten it I've forgotten the name of them now but um it was a road it was a road cycling team um near in southampton and uh, they were, um, he, he just loved cycling, is out all the time. I had suddenly gained this interest, but I didn't really understand the skinny tire um, pink jersey, which he had at the, at the time um, scene. So I, I just liked going off road. Um, and I did have a mountain bike already, it was an Apollo. Um, but all of a sudden, as soon as this lodger um, started living with us, I, I rode my bike harder and I broke everything. Um, and so I bought my first mountain bike magazine, which was Mountain Biker International, um, in 93, I think, or 94. Um, and so that, that was, that was the first time I think I really decided, yeah, mountain biking is for me. 
Um, and mm-hmm. come 95, I bought myself a specialized hard rock by selling my Super Nintendo, my Game Boy, my Apollo, or whatever wow. was left of it. Um, my mum was uh, proud because she thought I was going to be saving hard for my bike, but it only took me two weeks by selling everything I owned to buy it. Um, and so specialized hard rock I had, and that was off the back of seeing Jason McCroy uh, thrashing his stump jumper around the pages of MBUK. Um mm-hmm. And so I got that bike, and I broke everything on that bike too. But um, that was that was the beginning. And I got a bike shop, it, a job in the bike shop at 1998. So three years of breaking stuff, and then uh, then I got into the bike trade. And it's not cheaper working in the bike trade. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, it just means you can buy nicer stuff, but you still spend as much, if not more. So true. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So what are you riding now then? Uh, right, so now I ride a, um, I've got a, a couple of hardtails only, no full suspension bikes. What you, um, I've got a transition uh, throttle, mm-hmm. uh, which is a carbon hardcore hardtail, um, absolutely best hardtail I've ever ridden so fast. Um, and we built that for uh, uh, the London Bike Show, um, rather the NEC Cycle Show this year. And so we built it with uh, so loads of really high-end kit, attention to detail, um, colours that Instagram would like because we love we love Instagram. Yeah. Um, and uh, I honestly, I'm never on the downs, wishing I had a full suspension bike compared to all my buddies. I'm I'm right there. I'm not being left behind. Um, when it comes to the climbing, that's where I wish I had my full suspension bike back. Um, I got a winter slogger, which is a 26-inch uh, specialised S-Works stump jumper hardtail. Mm-hmm. Um, which I do adore. I'm always going to have that bike, uh, but the transition is just so capable. Uh, but um, what, what you also realize when you're working in the bike trade, working for companies, um, you do you do get a free bike depending on your job role. Um, yeah. And sometimes you get a couple of free bikes. So for, the, for probably a decade, I had a full suspension mountain bike that didn't actually belong to me. Um, so when you leave employment and you go and do your own thing, you suddenly realize, wow, your, uh, your fleet of bikes have just halved. Um, so that's why i don't have a full suspension bike at the moment but uh hopefully that time will be will be coming soon yeah the the transition stuff's lovely it is yeah it's really nice uh one of the local guys in belfast um mech monkey the mechanics up there they they sell rocky mountain and they sell transition and yeah they're a lovely lovely bike they really are i mean it's um i think the, the attention to detail and quality of the the frame is is crazy and um, i was putting on uh, instagram and twitter that i was hunting for a hardtail last year um and I, I i said i don't want carbon i've i've broken every carbon mountain bike frame i've ever had i just want steel or titanium no carbon um, mm. but i want this i want that i want this i want that and i basically described the transition throttle except the frame material um and the uh the guys at Windwave, they, they direct messaged me on social media and said, look, I know it's carbon, but you're describing the transition throttle and it's a cross-country bike you can huck to flat. Um, and I really loved how he said that, mm-hmm. cross-country bike that you can huck to flat, because that is how I ride. I'm, I like to ride trails, but if there's a big drop-off or a gap jump, I just want to try it. And I don't want to have to think, oh, I don't have to ride bike for it. And the, uh, mm-hmm. the transition throttle... It does exactly what it says on the tin. It is super strong, but it's super light as well. Uh, I've got a 26-pound bike that's built up with 35mm rims and downhill tyres, and um, it's just be ridden like hell. Absolutely mm. adore it. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. It's nice when you get something like that that you really love. Absolutely, yes. I mean, it's, it's all very well and good having a good warranty, but mm-hmm. you don't act 
actually want to use the warranty. It's um, especially in the days of Invisiframing your, your frame. You don't want to have to then go through a frame swap if you break something. Um, yeah. And so this is the first bike I've had for a long time where I've been using it for, um, well, it's coming up to a year now uh, without any issues at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, can't underestimate that. And the carbon frames you broke, Thomas, whereabouts did you break them at? Um, well, there was never any catastrophic failures. There were always things mm-hmm. like uh, around the pivot points um, or uh, bonding coming loose. Um, same with carbon cranks. I've had numerous carbon cranks, but they've all failed as well. Um, so I'm, I'm a heavy guy. I'm a heavy rider, and I ride hard. Uh, so I'm not too surprised. But, um, yeah, it's a shame when an entire frame gets written off because a bottom ca- uh, bracket um, cup uh, splits or or, loop, or widens or um, yeah so certainly the bond that uh, holds main pivot axles that's that seems to be a common place for it to go as well for me yeah yeah it's funny uh, I just I just don't know I I've always rode aluminium mm. um and I don't know I'm kind of on the fence a wee bit about carbon to be honest but there's guys in the US in Colorado Denver Colorado I think called um, gorilla gravity yeah i saw i saw heard of uh, that? This, yeah i saw mike levy uh, video on that on on pink bike um that was interesting i've heard of the brand they've been coming into the uk for a little while uh, mm. by in terms of uh, aluminium frames um and they've uh, this gorilla gravity company they're, they're now producing a carbon front triangle in the states mm-hmm. um, yeah so, so that Instantly, you think that's going to be super expensive, but it's not. They're they're looking to be about two and a half thousand dollars for the frame, um, but they're using different links and different uh, rear triangles to adjust the to, to make different models of this ex- essentially the same front triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the carbon's different too, isn't it? it? It's put together differently. There's something just different about it that's supposed to be a lot stronger. It's the manufacturing style. Um, I think it, it's part of how they've made it um, less expensive than other carbon frames. Um, I'm not sure on the details, so I'm not going to hypothesize mm. around it. Um, but uh, labor is the reason why it's so much cheaper in the Far East than in the States or in the UK to, to make carbon. Um, but if they if you can come up with a process that's time-saving, then voila. And Gorilla Gravity have made a, a ultra-strong front triangle um, in the US, which is fantastic. Mm, interesting well watch watch that space and yeah, see yeah. what happens <laughs> um, yeah I, I don't think carbon should be uh should be i don't think you should be scared of carbon if you're not a no. particularly heavy rider or an abusive rider should i say most carbon frames are going to be perfect for you mm-hmm. yeah you know it's it's one of those things there's a lot out there there's a few comes back with issues but you know generally they're they're 100 percent. that's right absolutely yeah okay right let's chat a wee bit about cyclerize then cool. and get into it with you um so you import brands you, you import rev grips uh yeah. smooth lube gop samurai sword mm-hmm. yeah. lots of other different bits and pieces so tell us a wee bit about cyclerize and what it is you kind of do then thomas just okay. for people that don't understand yeah sure so um cyclerize uh, we started uh, just over two years ago um and we import uh, six brands currently uh, we've got a few more in the pipeline but um, these things uh, often take a while to come to fruition um, and these six brands are predominantly accessories until recently when we launched rev grips that's our first component brand and if you're not sure the difference between accessories and components a component is uh, what a bike uh, needs in order to become a bicycle and an accessory is something that you can use with your bike such as lights locks um, chain lube bells things like that 
Um, so a component brand uh, being RevGrips, that was uh, a real um, marked step forward for us as a, as a business um, because uh, it's a higher ticket value item, which enables us to, to grow and invest more in marketing and stock. Um, when you think about accessories, you have to sell an awful lot of bottles of chain lube to, uh, to pay a salary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we've um, uh, we've got, like you say, Rev Grips. And that's from San Diego. We've got uh, Goop Industries, um, and I'm, I noticed you said Gup interest in, in Industries. Gup, I think. Yeah, 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 I remember so that. Two dots above the U, the umlaut makes it an U as, a, as opposed to an A. Uh. So that's <laughs> uh, Goop Industries. <laughs> um, but that's cool. It's a talking point. I think that's what helps the brand stand out a bit. Gup sounds um, like a fish. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, yeah, fish in a little blue can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, we bring in uh, Goop Industries uh, from San Diego as well, um, and uh, Smooth Chain Lube from South Africa. Uh, that is the best chain lube you'll ever tr- use, if you haven't already, honestly. It's standout. Um, and we also uh, bring in um, Lurie, or distribute Lurie, our own brand, and... Um, Samurai sword, which is a tubeless uh, repair kit that mounts in the ends of your handlebars. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. That, I like that. that. Yeah, that's such a neat product. We launched that only about two months ago, and it's flying. It's it's almost it's one of our best sellers straight away mm-hmm. out of the gate. Um, and we're u- used in co- um, collaboration with the Goop Industries, which is a sealant inflator um, used together. That's a viable inner tube replacement. So that's a really neat system. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the first brand we ever brought into the uk was timber and timber is a mountain bike specific bell um and so essentially it's what started cycloise you see uh, i i went off looking to develop a product idea i had and so riding in santa barbara southern california they've got massive trail access problems where uh, mountain bikers often downhill world champ level mountain bikers would be hauling ass down single track in and out of canyons and suddenly come across hikers and there'd be mm-hmm. these there'd be accidents and um, tempers would would flare and so local trail authorities um, needed needed a solution for this um, and so a, a gesture of goodwill and intent they um they put this little box of uh, cowbells with a velcro fastener at the top of all the major trails so the idea is you'd shuttle to the top put a bell on your bike ride down and hands free it'd be ding 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 and then mm-hmm. once you get to the bottom you deposit the bell back in back in another box and then volunteers would run all those bells back to the top of the trail and it was something that really really seemed to work um, and i thought it'd be really neat if you had this bell on your bike all the time but it's really annoying so it'd be great if you could shut it up mm-hmm. when you don't, you don't need it and so i was trying to develop well not trying to develop but i went off looking to see if uh, uh, how you would create a, um, an automatic type traditional sounding bell and i found that somebody had already beaten me to it which uh, <laughs> which sucked but that was timber and <laughs> um, so i reached out to them and this was before we'd even launched our business um and i told them in jest um that uh, they'd stolen my idea and uh, what an awesome one it was um and somehow they agreed to let me buy a bunch of them um and launch our business based on the timber bells mm. um uh, but this this leads quickly to how uh, how we launched the business so quickly. Right at the beginning of our, our chat, I mentioned how um, we launched the business in in six hours, and that was because Chips at Single Track Magazine, he um, in Fresh Goods Friday, the Timber Bell, he brought one back from Seattle, and 
so we had to uh, suddenly um, do something because we had this massive marketing opportunity sat in Fresh Goods Friday, this timber bell that everybody's talking about. Um, where can they get one? Mm. So we mm-hmm. opened the website within six hours. I'd already started constructing it, so it was just tidying it up and, and going for it. And that's why Cyclewise ended up being Cyclewise. Um, and we, we sold almost our entire first order over that first weekend. Um, and so Cyclewise was inadvertently born. <laughs> Isn't that crazy how it just all came came together like that? It, it was. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, it was... Uh, just bicycle bells, but it's a unique bell and um, we were offering something different. And so cyclewise from that point forward, um, I suppose to answer your question, which is, this is a really roundabout way of getting there. um, The products we want to range need to be the absolute best at what they do. So whether that be their unique in their function, such as the Simba mountain bike bell, um, or they're absolutely the best, such as smooth chain loop. There isn't another chain loop that does what smooth can do. Um, and that goes for everything in our range going forward as well. And with my personal passion for mountain biking, uh, my wife is uh, is mountain biking now too, but uh, I think riding off my passions more than hers. Um, <laughs> she, uh, All of our products need to be the best and probably will always be in uh, with the mountain bike bias. And I think that's, that's what's going to separate us from most other distributors um, is that uh, we are going to have a bit more of a focus and our products are always going to be, uh, I don't want to say niche, but they're going to serve a unique purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. So is Cyclerize your full-time gig now, Thomas? It is. Yeah, it has wow. been my full-time gig for the last uh, two years. Um, two years as of uh, the middle of January, actually. Wow. Uh, and my wife went full-time with us um, about seven months ago. Oh, really? Well, yeah. excellent. So it's the two of us full time and then the company dog, Oscar, who just sits around whining at us when we're not sat on the sofa with him. <laughs> yeah, but he's a good trail dog, isn't he? He's an amazing trail dog. Yeah. He's, he's not getting out riding as much. Um, since we moved to Wales, I need to learn my learn my rides because um, you can't you can't take him uh, trail riding when there's tons of roads to ride. So still mm-hmm. sussing my way around. So he's not been out as much as I'd like. <laughs> Oh dear, dear. Well, you'll have to break a man easy again, get his fitness up a bit, a bit yes, more. Yes, he's still fitter than me, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Classic. Now, so chatting about brands there, it's interesting. So how do you go about choosing the brand that you you want to import? Is it something you need to use and kind of validate yourself first? How do you go about that? Oh, absolutely. Well, looking for looking for brands, definitely looking for things that stand out. Um, so that doesn't mean necessarily, oh, they're good because nobody else does them. Um, it's looking at, at um, products that serve a unique purpose um, and have a performance element unlike the competition. Um, because we're not interested in getting a brand on board that's about the same as everybody else, but we've got to put mm-hmm. three times the amount of marketing budget in it to try, to try and you know, sell, sell, the, uh, sell the image. Um, so Rev Grips is a good example. Um, they're very, very expensive grip. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend they're not, but they are worth every penny to the people who have uh, problems with um, numbness in their hands or arm mm. pump while at bike parks or pains that um, inhibit their enjoyment on the bike. Uh, and when you're then buying a set of 100-pound grips, then absolutely worth every penny. Um, now, the you can easily say that as a, as a marketing guy about about any about any grip, but 
the rev grips are a suspension grip. They, they're isolated from the handlebar. They float above the handlebar, in fact, um, and they offer a couple of degrees on twist. They don't, they don't feel loose, but they do dampen trail vibrations. And while other grips are on the market that are ergonomic and spread the load, um, these, these tackle the problems of hand and arm pains in a completely different way. Um, and when you when you uh, Google and read media reviews of uh, Rev Grips, they are unanimously fantastic, um, as mm-hmm. well as consumer feedback, which is which is more important. Um, while people while the consumers do look at um, in the states, these these reviews are mostly published at the moment, MTBR.com or Pinkbike. Then you can see uh, journalistic reviews are saying they're fantastic, but I think a lot of people do take reviews with a pinch of salt. So when you see uh, Joe Bloggs saying, well, I reluctantly bought these, but they're actually the best thing I've ever got for my bike, then that then that tells me that it's a product that's stand out, standing out and going places, mm-hmm. um, especially as RevGrips are only two years old as a, as a, as a brand themselves. Um, they're already so so desirable and well known in the states and they're certainly getting that way here especially on social media um it was a brand that i couldn't wait to start talking to and so it, it took several months of um, back and forth and chit chat um because uh smaller brands such as revs they're a little nervous about growth they don't want to grow too quickly they want to grow in a manageable manageable way and if you can imagine uh, they have seven sleeve colors, eight clamp sizes. Um, they CNC manufacture everything for the grips in-house, um, so cutting the grips, molding the grips, um, the washers, the bolts, everything is made in their facility. Um, so it's very time-consuming, especially when they also manufacture other things. That that's, Rev Grips wasn't their main business or isn't their mm. main business at the moment. Um, so looking for new brands has to be something special, Um it can't just be another another one or a silly idea that um, that's going to take an awful lot of convincing for people. Um, if it's a unique product, it will find its own way, and those are the products we want to find. Yeah, so I take it a part of your day then is spent kind of researching, figuring out what's happening, what's going on, um, and looking at brands that you may be interested in. Yeah, well, it's important. Um, I think in any job, well, most job roles in the bike trade, you've got to keep your finger on the pulse. Um and I think, especially with maybe bike shops, if you're running a bike shop, you have to figure out or understand what the consumer is looking for and look to see what they're reading about and um, talking about online and um, out in uh, you know, the physical pl- uh, forum. Um, mm-hmm. So certainly for, for our roles, having just taken on um, Rev Grips and Samurai Sword in pretty close succession, our doors are pretty much closed to new brands at the moment. But um, as I also mentioned earlier, we you need to... Um, foster these relationships to eventually come to fruition with with, a, with your next the next big brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure your fingers on the pulse and reading magazines and reading um, articles and reviews of products um, all over the world is really really important. Um, and I've got a few few ideas of uh, uh, the brands that we we hope to work with in the future. Um, and and our growth plan uh, relies on making sure we make the right decisions. So, my knowledge about product and the industry and trends um, is really really important. But those are going to probably change slightly between now and you know the next brand we, we launch. Yeah, well, I suppose you know your background in buying for one of the largest retailers um, yeah. online and stuff that has really helped. I think so. Yeah, I mean having 
worked uh, for your conventional bike shops in um, the UK and the States, as well as um, marketing and buying for somebody the size of my previous online employer. I know I've already mentioned them, so I don't know why I'm not now. Wiggle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think yeah. So I joined I joined Wiggle when uh, the marketing team was uh, eight people strong, I believe. Um, wow! And now it's dozens and dozens and dozens strong. Um, so when I when I joined, I sat opposite the director and I got involved with all sorts of special projects. Did TV advertising, broadsheet advertising, um, uh, A/B testing with 360 photography. You know, all sorts of far-fetched only slight loosely to do with marketing kind of um, activities as well um so i find i find i I got an awful lot of experience from various different elements of business um and then my last role at wiggle was uh, was buying and i did that for a couple of years um and i think yeah i think it's brought some really invaluable skills to being able to run your business from an all-rounder kind of point of view Mm -hmm. yeah so when you were buying in rev grips was it a were you nervous about the decision considering yeah. they're an expensive grip? You know, did you think, I, I, you know, I take it you don't get stuff sale or return. It's just not no. as easy as that, you know, no. so you have to, you have to buy in so many. That's, that's right. So yeah, from a distributor point of view, it's our job to hold stock for bike shops. Mm. Um, so bike shops can order four or five sets at the time and if they need another color, they can give us a call and we'll ship some out same day. Um, it doesn't work if you if a shop needs a certain color and you've got to wait four weeks. That's not that's not what shops like to, to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm acutely aware that um, yeah, the distributor's job is to hold that risk on behalf of their dealers. So um, it was it was only nerve wracking in terms of choosing what colors and how many of which colors to stock. Um, uh, of course, it's an expensive product, and for us, it's a hugely expensive investment. Um, so I wasn't nervous about the overall quantity, and we bought hundreds, by the way, hundreds and hundreds. Um, wow. But uh, I was nervous about getting the color combination uh, correct. Um, and I'm not, I haven't even counted how many skew possibilities there are, but uh, yeah, eight different clamps, seven different sleeve colors, four different grip patterns. So it is a lot. Um, but uh, uh, and I've got to say, we didn't quite get it right. So we have run out of a couple of colors already. Um, but uh, I think I was confident enough with the quality of the manufacturer, the USPs that the brand held, um, not to be nervous about the investment. Um, mm-hmm. And especially as we, we flew out and saw the guys in San Diego, and um, they, they just exuded character and confidence and knowledge about their their market and about their product so it didn't seem a risk at all it just it was just nerve-wracking making sure you're stocking the right stuff yeah and it's you know people may think it's easy but when there's so many different options to choose from like you know different colors and different grip pattern then all of a sudden you have to stock like you say hundreds of the things to have something of everything that's right um yeah because you know stocking um, four different sleeve patterns in um, neon orange, for example. Uh, well, most people are going to be buying black grips. So how many of these neon orange do we go for? <laughs> and then there's neon green, and then there's turquoise, then there's... Um, and then you think, well, most people are going to buy the medium size. So do we get just a few of the large neon orange, or do we actually stock deeper? 
Um, but then mm-hmm. quickly, just by adding an extra four units across the entire range of colours, then that's another 80 yeah. sets. So you've got to be really, really cautious. Um, and as you can imagine, for uh, for us, you know, we're, we're only just starting to pay ourselves salaries, proper salaries. So, um, you know, investing in a brand like this is, is a real challenge, um, but one that can yield real uh, results and and wins so it's um it's well worth the investment well worth the commitment yeah cool cool i like that i like that so when you when you find a brand that you're interested in how do you reach out to them um and show your interest how do you finally get that you know as part yeah. of your your um your brand set up yourself there yeah that's a really really great great question um distributors receive a lot of distribution inquiries um and requests um for, for their brands a lot of them and we're starting to experience that with our own brand Lurie. um mm-hmm. you know, we offer we sell through distributors now in um the far east a couple, a couple of countries out there um europe as well and so what you need to stand out from everybody else so just contacting somebody and say hey do you have a distributor we'd love to do it that's not enough that's probably not enough to get a reply from some um you need to connect with these people and show show that you have a real understanding for their product and a, and a passion for their product um and so you know with 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 uh, rev grips this is another good example um i i was building my my bike for the nec cycle show um and so i cheekily contacted them and asked hey would you would you mind splashing me a set of grips to put on the bike? It's going to be at the bike show. It's going to, we're going to get loads of uh, media attention for it. Um, and we've got quite a big Instagram handle as well. And that plays a huge part. If you can prove that you understand marketing, uh, then I think that puts you in really good stead. So we have a, a big following, um, a super big reach on Instagram. And they they quickly followed us on Instagram, saw of our content. Um, so they agreed, yeah, sure, we'll send you a set, a set, of, grip, set of grips. Mm-hmm. Um and so that was opportunity number one. You've now commit, you've got them to give you something for free. So if you can now give them value for money and worth for giving you that product, um, then that's going to reap huge rewards and dividends. So um, we, our bike was featured in various magazines. It was um, viewed by dozens, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, and we photographed it and we put it all over social media um, and they loved it and and it built a nice rapport between them and us um and uh, of course once you've got that rapport then you can start having those those candid conversations do you have a distributor are you interested in distribution we would love to work with you um and uh sometimes you know it just doesn't go anywhere but you've got to mm-hmm. ask these questions and, and see where it leads um but we had a, we had a nice a good connection with rev grips um i think our passion for their product came across um, and so they were they were willing to meet with us, and so that was absolutely brilliant. Maybe maybe the uh, us uh, making the effort to visit them in San Diego was also a, a big a big plus that lots of other distributors wouldn't have done. Yeah, I would think so. And you know, it's funny the way that end of business has gone. It's almost gone back a wee bit in that people like they like to know you as the person. You know, they're almost investing in you. Um, yeah, they do. You know, and a face-to-face thing will really, really help in that way. Um, it's just not as easy as, yeah, get our product out to as many people to sell it to as many people as you can. You know, it's more in-depth than that. 
It is. Well, a lot of brands specifically don't want to end up with a very large distributor who has a portfolio that's so big, theirs is likely just to fall into the into mm. the mix um, and not get that special marketing attention. Uh, we have six brands, which we can share a really good amount of um, focus on. So all of our brands get a, a nice share of uh, marketing um, effort, spend. Um, we're taking them all to bike shows. When if you've got you know, 30, 50, 60 brands, which some distributors do have, then, of course, they can't put that effort into every single brand. They're mm-hmm. going to be choosing the, um, you know, the the bigger revenue brands, and that's absolutely fine. They're a distributor of that size. When you're our size, we that you know every single brand we range has to pay the bills, if you like. Um, they have to pay their their space in the storeroom, and so uh, we put you know equal share of um, share of voice into all of our brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's important. And I suppose Rev Grips. You know, they obviously know the customer customer base that they want to sell to, and, and everything else. Very much. You know, you would probably have to match that kind of. Well, I mean, just maybe not the right word, but you would have to be kind of promoting to the same kind of customer That's base. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, our our average customer um, doesn't have a five hundred pound bike. Our average customer has um, two and a half to four thousand pound bike. Mm. Um, but having said that lots of our products perform so well that we do have customers using our products on bikes that some people may arguably say don't match the product. Um, Timber Mountain Bike Bell, for instance, we've we've got people who use them on um, hybrid bikes to commute to work with. It doesn't necessarily mean just because you're spending £25 on a Bell, um, it it has to be on a super high-end bike because £25 on a Bell fine that's more than your average bell but it's performing a function and that's unique that that really satisfies problems for that some people have mm-hmm. um, our chain lube works so flawlessly then uh, any bike is going to benefit from it and then rev grips again uh, proportionally it's a lot of money to spend on a set of grips um, but they work so well and the quality is so high that uh, that as soon as people use them they, they, they're sold it is absolutely as good as it says on the tin so mm. you know why why should they only end up on a super high-end bike yeah no it's very true it's very very true um and they'll definitely i'm sure you'll find that crossover in certain things yeah definitely yeah so let's chat a wee bit about how it works then so if i'm a retailer and i want to stock the product that you import yeah um let's just say i got in contact with samurai sword would they yes. then put me in contact with you they as you being indeed. a distributor for a certain area is it done that, in areas or it's um, done by country typically right um, okay. in different places in the world particularly the states then you may have multiple distributors for a single brand because the territory mm-hmm. is that big um but uh, from almost all brands uh, certainly in the uk and european countries then you would have one distributor for a brand um if you're one of many distributors then you're not you may be a distributor, but you're certainly not um, uh, unique. You're not, you're not uh, the official. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for all of our brands, we are the official UK distributor, um, and you would be referred to us. Yeah, that's cool. And then, obviously, I would chat to you and would see what we could do and help each other that way. Absolutely. Um, just get in touch. We can give you our price list and and work from there. We, um, I do like to take a pragmatic approach to signing up dealers. Um, an awful, awful lot of distributors won't won't even reply to certain retailers. It's it's appalling. Um, but uh, 
if, if you're say uh, you run a mobile workshop or an online only business then um, our pragmatic approach would be to check you out and just just look to see your activities and how you represent products just like we would any retailer um so we're not going to turn you away or or not reply just because you don't fall into our um idea of what a good retailer is uh, we'll, we'll consider everybody on equal ground mm-hmm. yeah no very true um so now customers can also buy direct from you is that is that right the consumer can buy straight from yourself currently they can yes uh, mm-hmm. so w- while we're still building our dealer network uh, you can't necessarily walk into your local bike shop and find our products uh, we are making efforts to change that so um, as we get more retailers and a better national penetration then we will step out of retail altogether yeah and just work on the the b2b stuff yeah that's right so um we don't currently have a b2b site uh, we are that's something we'd we'd love and we are working towards um, but to get a, a clever b2b site is, is hugely expensive um <sighs> so it's something that's on the wish list uh, but uh, i think dealers do want to see your support and of course us um and uh, making our products available um, to the public as well as our dealers doesn't necessarily work hand in hand as well as it could. So we would love to switch that off. And as soon as we have that ability to to reach all the consumers um, and they can they can easily get the products wherever they are, then that's what we'll do. Yeah, I know. I, and you know, it would be very difficult to do both. Um, you know, it, an online store takes an enormous amount of time. It does. Yes. People don't understand. They think it's so easy, but it's not. You know, by the time you take orders and package stuff and go to the post office and everything yeah. else that's yeah, involved. Or well, every hours of every day are spent just in the packing room, just packing, just packaging orders. Um, shop orders take longer than consumer orders. Um, you got to get things in the, in the right box shape, the box weight. It takes it takes ages. Consigning yeah. orders as well yeah it's, it's crazy um there's a lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes that people don't realize i think um because i'm from a business but i've worked on online as well as shop floor stuff and right. i've seen i've seen both worlds and i'll tell you an online store that's doing a lot of business is very 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 time consuming it is um and I, I mean i must add that with the online versus high street arguments um there is a place for both but equally when when somebody says oh it's easier for online to sell cheaper because it costs less to run an online business that's absolutely not the case when you mm-hmm. think about excuse me <coughs> pardon me when you think about uh translations and seo and uh, google shopping and um then packaging running warehousing buying Yes, um, High Street Shop has all of these things as well. Online is just a different model. It's mm-hmm. not. Um, it's not necessarily cheaper to run that an online business at all. Yeah. Um, but the you know High Street Shops, I think they they do portray products in a fantastic light, and a lot of our products are technical, and they need that face to face technical salesman to help customers understand how to use our products and and why they should be buying our products over another. Yeah, very true. Um, certainly, and you know the uh, there's obviously the chat about YT and Canyon and all selling direct to consumer now, and and you know how that's cutting out the bike stores and stuff. Do you think that'll change a wee bit in the future? Will that model shift a wee bit, or is that how it's going to go? Um, that's 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 a that's a big question. I think. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, can, 
I think I think the consumer direct model is definitely here to stay, um, and it can't be it can't be uh, doing anything other than speeding up. Um, it, it has been a shame to see quite a few bike shops close in the past in the last couple of years. Mm. But having said that, so many bike shops have opened in this time as well, and and it's easy to see in press that shops have closed, shops are closed, but so many are opening as well. That there's there is that market for consumer direct, but I've got to say there's nothing that's going to replace a bike shop there's nothing that's going to um take get that service or add that service that a bike shop can deliver mm-hmm. um so yes consumer direct will will come but don't forget the market is growing with that as well uh, more people are mountain biking now than they were and that's going to continue to grow over time so with a larger marketplace then i don't, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing yeah and, and, and we see so i'm sort of just going to add sorry, yeah i think with um uh with our with our product line, um, then we don't see other products as bad competition. If there are other competitive brands out there, then that's fine. We're 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 basically doubling, quadrupling our marketing efforts. We're reaching more and more people, so that's building the market. So we all get a bigger share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know it's crazy because there is just so much product available now. There's everything, yes. isn't it? Unbelievable. Like, mm-hmm. do you think? From your perspective and, and your history of, of being in the bike industry for a long time and now running your own company and stuff, do you think certain brands will struggle just because of the amount of product that is available out there? Um, difficult question. I, I think it maybe it depends what type of product it is. Um, I think from a cleaner and lubrication point of view, that is a fierce marketplace. Um, mm. We're experiencing that ourselves. We've got a product that genuinely is a class-leading performer. The reviews say it. The consumer feedback says it. Um, however, going into a bike shop and and, and selling that uh, that that product um, is very difficult because there is so much competition. There, um, you walk into any bike shop, you'll see brands of chain lube and cleaner that you recognise, um, and there's two or three different brands already on the shelf. So how do we nuzzle in or nestle in rather um, and, uh, and make our product available as well? It is, we have to find different ways of selling the product, but also the product you have has to be different enough to get a bike shop and a consumer to take notice. Uh, fortunately, we have that with Smooth. Um, it, is, it is that good, but you know, getting it into a bike shop is, is a challenge. But if, mm-hmm. if that shop prefers or likes to give their customers a point of difference, um, that they want a product that performs and works differently to the others, then that's great. That's what you have to do. I think it's when you have products that are very similar to everybody else, that's where it's going to start to become even more challenging in just a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you look at price point at all when you're bringing in I'm products? I'm sorry, say that again. Sorry, do you look at price point when you're bringing in products? Um, we do and don't. Um, so, it's uh, price point does matter. It does absolutely. Um, you can't ask a consumer to pay over the odds for something if it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, the production cost of the brands that we bring in are more than the larger brands that you recognise because they're made in much smaller quantities. Um, so. It does. It, it is considered. We do have to consider it. We've got a formula um, that we use for pricing uh, a product for the UK market, um, and it's a, it's a conservative one. We like to offer bike shops a, a good enough margin for them to to stock and make the effort um, to range. Um, but likewise, we have to make a little slice as well. And um, 
then the manufacturer cost is in there as well plus shipping and import duties and who knows what that's going to uh how that's going to show its face in a couple of months time um, yeah. but uh price point is absolutely a, a considered factor um however we are we are prepared to be slightly more expensive than the competition if the product is really worth it um and i think finding class leading or uh, innovative new products it's unlikely that we'll ever come in cheaper than other brands that do you know similar similar mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. um having said that you know samurai sword is a good example they're a tubeless repair kit and uh, at 25 pounds um doubling up as a set of end caps that's helping your packless riding and it's helping uh, it, it's a functional tool that um is difficult to be done badly but samurai have done in a different way to everybody else and that's a really that's a really solid pricing structure i think yeah that's a really cool product i really like that yeah it's, it's wicked it's like i said it's, it's selling so well i think um at the moment riding without a backpack where possible is becoming so popular um mm-hmm. in fact i saw uh is a uh, competitor's statement, I think, but I think it is uh, very appropriate. Um, a small backpack weighs one and a half kilos, um, unloaded, um, and uh, a um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, but uh, the associated riding packless setup weighs five hundred grams. Um, so it's mm-hmm. it, it's not just about um, convenience; it's about unloading that weight from your body. Um, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of weight to haul around. Yeah, certainly. And that's a good segue, actually. Let's talk about, Laurie, I want to talk about your own product a wee bit, yeah. just. Yeah. Um, so it's your own brand. Um, why did you decide to start that? Well, that's a good question and something that's um, a lot of people think that we like to keep secret, but we don't. Um, we used to be the importer of a competitive brand to, to Lurie. Um, and unfortunately, that that relationship didn't work out for us. Um, but we had worked very hard to develop a customer base for that product. Mm. Um, and so uh, about eight months later, um, we announced that we were going to do our own. Um, so we have our own colorways. We have them manufactured in the UK. We made a few uh, a few little changes as well. Um, and we now supply them uh, with uh, a nice POS. So it's good, easy to display in bike shops. Mm-hmm. Um and they're, they're doing tremendously well, especially uh, especially outside of the UK. Yeah, and it, it's a great idea. And it's like you were just saying, taking stuff off your bike and yeah. attaching it to your bike. And so many people are doing it. I mean, it's uh, it's a very it's a very busy marketplace for for inner tube straps and and things like that, as as I'm sure most of your listeners will know. Um, so we do capitalise on quality. Um, we've got some cool function in the strap, and and when you actually hold it and use it, you see why. They're worth what they are, um, and having made in the UK as well as really nice um, added touch. It means we can keep a closer eye on quality, um, and we can make changes really, really quickly. Uh, it's not like we've got something that was shipped from the Far East two months ago and it's about to land, um, and we've mm-hmm. had to order twenty thousand of them. Um, you know, we do stock nice and deep. We do have thousands in stock, but um, we can make changes to to the to the production very, very quickly, and that sell through comes about quicker than we think. Yeah, that's cool. And was that stepping outside your comfort zone a wee bit, producing your own brand? Or um, It was a little bit, but I think one thing I will say, maybe other people who have started their own businesses before, it's really difficult to take that first step. Um, you've got to be confident you've got the right idea. Um, 
and you've got to do make a few of the right decisions but once you've actually done it yes it's hard work but you think you know what that, that wasn't quite as hard as hard as i was expecting so mm. launching our own brand is is just it's just a marketing message um and of course having that idea and having that product so the product was was pretty easy um we went to a company up north who knows cycling luggage they know what they're doing uh, they know bikes and they know materials so they uh, they helped us develop it and it was uh, it was wasn't that difficult but of course now um getting that bra- that message out there and keeping that sell sell through up that, that is hard work it's very challenging mm-hmm. um, yeah it's yeah. true because I, you know you can have the best brand in the world, but if people don't know about it, you ain't going to sell it. No, that's very, very true. And that's where marketing then, comes behind so much of this stuff, you know? It does. And it's it's an expensive game, marketing. Um, mm. To advertise in magazines or even on websites it is really expensive. So um, we've put most of our effort into social media. Um, and I think Lurie um, has had almost nothing spent on it marketing-wise. Um except for a hell of a lot of time um and, mm. and with cycloids we went several months without spending a penny um, and we do a very little uh, we do a little bit of um uh, facebook advertising a little bit of um uh, paid google advertising now but not much um so time and effort reaps massive rewards i've got to say mm-hmm. yeah and i know one of your ambassadors um tess brown uh, oh, yes. m- modern mud and no makeup she was on the podcast i actually had I heard, yes, on the podcast. um and um so how important are ambassadors to the to brands these days it seems Fantastic. to be a, a, a massive growing thing with instagram yeah. and everything exactly I, I see that as um maybe what, what could be uh, described as growth hacking um <laughs> get, getting getting um influences uh, using your products um does give that um illusion of grandeur and size of company i suppose um but uh, you know our products seem to suit a lot of the riders out there and they love they love different products and they love supporting small brands that's um i think with tess it's a testament to how people um do like working with like-minded individuals and mm. so we're happy to supply some product to people who have a good social reach and can demonstrate your products in good light and um there's a tremendous amount of difference between somebody who says they'll do x y and z for you um and somebody who just does it naturally um mm-hmm. tess is one of those those natural people who who can just portray product in a great light and and make people um well notice you and so good ambassadors like tess and we've got we've got a lot of them at the moment we're just about to announce some new riders for um hashtag team cyclerize wow um, yeah <laughs> big deal um and so, uh, you know, th- this is a really great way of reaching the audience. And, um, yeah, finger- fingers crossed we, we get better at it and-, and-, and get the big names under our belts. Yeah, and I suppose when you have somebody like Tess, it's a win-win because she'll validate the idea for you as well. And she'll say, this is good, this is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feed- feedback's invaluable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. no perfect um, all right i don't want to take up too much more of your time thomas because i know what we're taking on here um but that's interesting about your team i was going to ask you if you have anything new planned for the the near future or any new brands now i know a lot of that maybe uh, you may not be able to tell us that but yeah. um well um yeah i'd the say team uh, well the team thing um it's my, my wife and i have been planning out our schedule race and uh, event schedule for the year because we want to go and exhibit and show our brands off um, in front of as many 
um, much of our target audience as possible. But yeah. um, we were thinking it's going to be hugely expensive and time-consuming to attend various enduro races throughout the year. We want to attend you know entire series if possible. Um, so we decided oh, we're just not going to be able to achieve all of that. So what if we have people go and put our brand logo everywhere when we're not necessarily there? Um, so we thought a team of hardy individuals who love social media and love riding bikes and maybe we're going to go and ride the Ard Rock Enduro or the Pedal Hounds Enduro Series anyway. Um, why don't we give them some free stuff and get them to ride in our team colours? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the idea before, behind Team Cyclerise. So now it's um, we've been trawling through applications and uh, coming up with who we think will be a good fit. Um, and we're I think we're a day behind announcing them already. So I know people are sweating, <laughs> waiting to know if they, they're yeah, in or not. I've seen that on your Instagram stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. actually quite good. It's actually very, very smart marketing. <laughs> or maybe inadvertently, yeah. <laughs> um, but we, yeah, we, we just want these people to, um, yeah, uh, be good on social media, not necessarily with uh, the amount of sheer followers they have, but people who know how to take a good picture and how to... Uh, portray product and show support to their supporters mm-hmm. um, and if this if this first year goes well then who knows what we could do next year and when it comes to new brands like yeah we've got we've got a few we've got a few in, uh, I don't want to say pipeline because that sounds like it's a done deal um, mm-hmm. but of course we've always got these conversations going um, and even if it doesn't happen this year then there could be some pretty mega opportunities for 2020. Happy days, happy days. Sounds good. So, Thomas, how can people best find out what you're doing and get in contact? Yeah, well, you can find uh, find us on our website, cyclorise.com, um, or all over social media, cyclorise on uh, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, all the usuals. We're pretty hard not to find. Uh, we do put ourselves everywhere, even YouTube, and we're even on TikTok now. Um, but uh, I won't share that off too much because we don't really get it yet. Yeah, what's that? I don't. I've never even heard of that. Uh, TikTok is um, it's mega, mega, mega social platform from the Far East, and right, it's yeah. uh, if you remember Vine, uh, which was I think that was bought by Facebook and closed down, if I'm mm. right. Um, it was short video snippets, um, and people used to do memes and dance videos on them and all that. So TikTok is essentially that, but it's music based. Um, so we're trying to figure out how we can um, operate as a business on there. But businesses do. Um, and in the Far East and Asia, um, it's it's rivaling Facebook in terms of size. It's absolutely huge. Wow. Um, and they're just they're marketing quite heavily into the Western world at the moment. And um, they've got all sorts of Western influencers um, operating on it. So it is going to happen. Um, and just like Instagram, I think we just missed the tide got a really good following and reach on instagram but um if we were maybe a year earlier we could we could be even bigger um mm. so hopefully with tiktok we might be well well positioned oh good stuff good stuff all right well here thomas it's been an absolute blast chatting to you and it's really like nice it. yeah it's really cool to hear about the industry from your side of things it's really interesting oh well thank you for saying so um, yeah. i love, love working in the industry i always will it's hard to get out once you get in I exactly and you know are you still passionate about it are you still excited about it that's that's a really good question as well um yes I absolutely adore the trade I love the people in it you make friends um and people tend to uh, move around they leave a job pop up somewhere else um it's rare you ever lose contact with people um and uh 
I, I think the only downside is I don't really enjoy reading mountain bike magazines anymore because nothing <laughs> nothing seems um, new or ex- as exciting when it comes to uh, a product um, that mm. late on. You need to go to the trade shows. You need to you need to um, be seeing the stuff the moment it comes out. Um, so getting out, getting to shows, that's a super exciting thing. Um, not seeing pictures, but touching and feeling. That's what that's what matters. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I do enjoy that. That really does stoke you. <laughs> Yeah. And you get free pants, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any bonus? <laughs> That's it. Well, Thomas, listen, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really do appreciate it. And um, <clears throat> it was awesome to chat to you. Anytime. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Gareth. No bother, mate. Good luck for the future. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what else you, you bring on board. That'll be really cool. Good. Me too. I'll keep you updated. Cheers, bud. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for episode number 76, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. And Thomas, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really did enjoy our chat and it was a very insightful conversation about what goes on behind the scenes and how we get products shipped to our stores and everything else. And it's not just as easy as walking into a store and putting your hand on something that you want. There's a lot more goes on behind the scenes. So thanks so much for coming on the show and having a chat with us it was great to get you on now folks if you want to know more about Thomas what he does with Cyclerize everything that goes on there you can just visit the show notes at mtb-tribe.com visit Thomas's episode and you'll get quick links to how you can get in contact how you can find out what Thomas is up to there with the company and everything else and it's a great way to look at back episodes as well they're all on there you can listen to them directly from the website or you can download them onto your favourite device. It is entirely up to you. So thanks again for listening, folks. I do appreciate it. Now, if you want to get a wee bit more involved, just visit the website mtb-tribe.com. You can subscribe there, become a member, and uh, you'll get one email a week just letting you know who's coming on the show and a little synopsis about what we're going to be chatting about and stuff like that. And an easy, quick link on that email just to take you directly to that episode's page. Now, you can also follow us on socials. We are on Instagram and Facebook at MTV Tribe. And the old Instagram account is well over 10,000 followers now, so it's quite good there. There's quite a lot of conversations go on behind the scenes there as well. And um, I really enjoy that. So keep getting in contact, folks. I really do appreciate it. It's good crack chatting to you guys there. Now, if you want to hear from anybody on the podcast or a certain subject, you want cover just simply get in contact you'll find a contact page on the website as well and um, let me know and i will try my best to do that so folks thanks for being here this week i do appreciate you tuning in and letting me be in your ear bulbs one more time and uh, have a great week out in the trails stay safe and hopefully you get pushing those pedals until next week have a good one <laughs>